Hello, and welcome back to the 1980s movie graveyard. Hello, all you retro movie lovers. Unfortunately, Corey is still on injured reserve with his knee injury, so we're calling in our most common guest host. Actually, our only guest host until recently, but uh, he's making a return. That's right, part-time movie graveyard digger. We got Trevor in the house, a.k.a. Trev3K, a.k.a. the host of If Bleeds We Can Kill It, a.k.a. the host of, well, I should say co-host of Days of Future Podcast. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, no problem, man. You shined the Helen Slater signal in the air, and I came like last time. Yeah, I was thinking of this. I think this is your third appearance on the show, and it's the second <laughs> Helen Slater. Yeah. So, like, your your Helen Slater movie graveyard batting average is really high right now. Yeah, that's that's great. And like, pretty after this, I guess it's pretty much done. I mean, if I had my way, there'd be a lot more. Helen oh, yeah. Slater starring films to do, but I guess we're knocking them out right here. Yeah, for people, because I know there's a lot of people who are always jumping on to the graveyard, uh, new listeners, and we love the new listeners. In case you haven't, you know, pretty far back, uh, we did Supergirl, you and I did, Trev, mm-hmm. and uh, we, you, you, can, you can hear the tears in our beers for, for the, in that <laughs> one. You know, we yeah. really lamented how... Um, Helen Slater should have had a much, much, much better career. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I almost feel like, what should, what should I say, like, you know, even though she kind of did these movies almost back-to-back, I like, I feel like you you can really, as, as awesome as she was in Supergirl, and she really was the only thing that made that movie even watchable, as awesome as she was in that, like, you can, you can see her acting chops so much stronger, even in this one, I think. Yeah, and I think in general, we'll talk about it while we watch it, but it's just a better star vehicle for her, even though you'd think Supergirl would be. But because this is actually a good movie, uh, exactly, it just feels like this is more like, oh yeah, this could have been what, or it should have been what her career was, but I don't know. That's right. So let's get down to watching The Legend of Billie Jean. Welcome to the 1980s movie graveyard. Thank you for helping to keep the theater clean. Certificates are available in the lobby. Remember, no talking during the show. Now sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. All right, we have some sync instructions here. If you want to follow along with the DVD or Blu-ray, uh, you can. You don't have to, as lots of you grave our listeners. I, I think our audience at this point is 50-50. If people have the the DVD on the shelf, they'll pull it off. And so, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes people gotta you know listen on the go or whatnot. Although honestly, folks, this Blu-ray, I think it's so cheap on Amazon. I think all you gotta do is send some like proof of purchases from your last two cereal boxes, <laughs> right, and they'll send right. you out a copy of this. So, all right, so we have it paused at literally the one second mark, and what that image is is the TriStar logo. Everybody remembers the great, awesome TriStar logo, which features a horse becoming a Pegasus and flying. Well, we have that paused right at the very beginning, where right now all you should be seeing at the one second mark is a blue and I guess maybe pinkish sky here. So I'm going to say one, two, three, go, and when I say go, you can hit the play button on your DVD player. Or your or or your Blu-ray remote or whatever you got going on there. Are you ready, Trev? You got remote in hand. I am indeed ready. All right, everybody. One, two, three, go. All right, and we are away. Look at that beautiful horse running towards us, Trevor. Isn't that I amazing? Know. It is a thing of beauty. You know, talk about a, a movie studio that had a really great batting average in the '80s. TriStar Pictures. Mm-hmm. Lots of good stuff coming out from them. All right, so. 
I have to say, this was the first... Recently, I purchased a home theater projector, and this is the uh, first thing... The very first image I threw on it, and I, I thought my projector was broken, because see how all it is is yeah. a black screen with that little... The, I, like, I thought the, the imaging chip or the bulb was bad, because there's just a little sliver of light, but no. No, I, I I rewatched the movie today to get ready for this, and that was the, when it came on. I was like, what the hell's going on with my picture? I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. But I gotta say, it's pretty ingenious in a cool, low-budget way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It probably wasn't. I'm sure it was probably just an accident too, and yeah. it just worked out. And it, it, it's a great little uh, kind of you know dramatic thing. You know, like considering this whole movie, there you have the title, "The Legend of Billie Jean." Uh, this whole movie rides on the fate of this little scooter here, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which I want to say I, I can't see the logo. It's a Honda, right? Like Honda Elite, because I know later on a. Um, that radio station offers to give him a Yamaha, and he's like, no yeah. way, a Yamaha. Yeah, I think they say it's a Honda Elite. There, there was some nice, uh, what do you call it, um, a back nudity there from Alan Slater right mm-hmm. away, like 15 seconds into the movie there. And uh, Of course, the first person we saw was Christian Slater, and this is his first movie. Yeah. So and, pretty, pretty historic. And, and by the way, if anybody out there thought the reason Christian Slater is making his debut is because his sister Helen Slater was in this movie as well. Don't don't consider yourself dumb. For 20 years, I thought Helen Slater and Christian Slater were brother and sister, and they're playing brother and sister in this movie. But no, they're not. They're not related whatsoever. I don't know. Nope. You know, I mean, I, I guess they're both blonde. They're both really young. It made it made sense to my young mind at the time, but. Yeah, no, uh, Helen Slater says in the commentary on this that people got that confused all the time. They always yeah. thought they were related, but. So don't feel bad, retro movie lovers. But yeah, the uh, brother and sister here jumping on the uh, Honda Elite to go get a pineapple milkshake at the uh, local Sonic or whatever this little drive-in. Immediately, you can tell we're in the 80s where there's always some borderline rapist lurking nearby because they're stalked <laughs> all the way there for miles by this this little game. And this is one of the main the villains, Hubie, right? And this guy yeah. has got such the wrong idea because it clearly infatuated with Billie Jean. Right. And so if you were, you should be trying to get in with the brother. Right? Be right. nice to the brother. That's the way. But he thinks he's going to bully the brother, and then that's going to, like, turn the sister on so big. Yeah. <laughs> he, put, he, he puts his gum on the, the seat there and all that. Like, that is, I don't know. That's just idiotic. But yeah, well, we've mentioned that we're watching the blue on this. I have to say, I'm very impressed by this Blu-ray transfer for this being a, like basically a $6 budget title. I give it a thumbs up. I mean, no special features really, other than the you know the Helen Slater and Yardley Smith commentary track. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's a, you know they try to say it's the fair is fair edition and all that, but <laughs> you know it's really bare bones. But for six bucks, it's worth it. Yeah. Well, like I said, fair is fair when you pay for six dollars. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that is true. It is, that's why it's a fair is fair. Oh, yeah. milkshake in the face of the bully right there. Which I gotta think the only reason because I I don't remember this guy who plays Hubie. I don't remember him in anything else. The only reason uh, he got this role was obviously James Spader was busy this month. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been awesome if Spader could have rolled right off the new kids with uh, his uh, oh, albino like same- haircut. <laughs> Yeah, the same character. That'd been great. Eddie Dutra, or he could—they could have called him like Billy Dutra. He's like Dutra's a uh, <laughs> twin cousin or some bullshit. Now here we see Helen Slater in the outfit that I'm sure awoke, uh, you know, many young exactly. boys in the '80s. Helen, including Helen, me. That's 
Exactly. Helen Slater, you know, in the face area, literally supermodel looks, you know, very skinny body, but when mm-hmm. you're a kid, it don't matter. Like, if you can see a woman's nipples poking through a t-shirt, like, that's all you need. Yeah. Now, between this and Supergirl, I had a huge crush on Helen Slater when oh, I was a yeah. kid. Well, I mean, when you're a kid and you see those two movies pretty much back to back, um, and this movie, I don't, I don't remember seeing it in the theater. Um, it was probably, oh, yeah. It, like it, according to what Helen Slater said, like it, it came and went. It wasn't a big hit, but, um, but yeah, man, I watched this thing at least twenty five to thirty times on HBO. It's a creep show two uh, crossover coming up here soon. Yeah, I, I was, I was just about to get that in, man, because this whole sequence at this lake. It, it looks exactly like the uh, setup that they had in the Creep Show Two, the raft segment. I do feel like this, like it's weird for a brother and sister to be hanging out on the raft like this close, yeah. and where he's laying, and when she's like that hot and dressed like that, I just like, eh, I don't know. I'm sure Christian Slater was enjoying it. Oh yeah, because like we said, not really yeah. brother and sister. <laughs> no, actually, it says the trivia that he w- he thought for sure that him and Helen Slater would end up married because oh, wow. they had the same last name. <laughs> wow. I don't follow that logic, really, but... I guess that is a 15-year-old boy's logic. I bet he was probably, like, in his own dorky, young kid way, was probably trying to hit on her the whole time, and she was just, like, not into it. Like, I think Helen Slater is probably pure as the driven snow. Oh, she is. If you listen to the commentary, every time they, like, swear in this, she's just like, oh, my God, the language in this film. Yeah, Yeah. and she always talks about, oh, I have a daughter, and this is a, like... Yeah. Yeah. Here we have Hubie doing the... The dirt donuts with the Honda Elite. And, now uh, I've been told by the fine folks online that if you pause at just the right moment as she's getting up in the stock, you can see nipple. But of course, I would not be as base as to no, try that we out. Don't. Come on, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> this isn't that kind of show. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. I always, I always thought the, uh, I guess the, what is it, the uh, Davy Crockett. <laughs> <laughs> raccoon tail on the yeah. antenna, and why is there the like the antenna like this on the back of that scooter? Did those have radios? Like, could you? I don't know. I don't know what that's for. But uh, yeah, he was kind of asking for it with that with that raccoon tail. Because yeah. I mean, also he... the front of that scooter looks like um, I don't know. I don't. I guess I I I don't really remember scooters like that from the eighties. I guess not a lot of people had them. That's the point. You know, it's yeah. like a fancy thing. But I always think the front of the scooter just looks like some kind of robot. It almost looks like yeah. a chopping mall like security it bot. It does. Do, you know, like. I don't really remember seeing a lot of people riding the scooters in the 80s either, but it was a big movie thing, because remember Linda Hamilton had that gold one in the Terminator? Mm-hmm. Which, have we, have we touched on the name Billie Jean? That ha- I mean, that has to be influenced by the Michael Jackson song, wouldn't you think? What What year was that song? It was like 82? I think Thriller came out like... 83-ish? Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. I know, like, there's a lot... To this day, I feel like there's still people you tell... You say, hey, have you seen The Legend of Billie Jean? And they just assume it's about tennis. They always assume it's Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King. That's true, too. Yeah. I, like, I I just wondered, like... There was a girl at my school, and I went to a pretty rural hick school. There was a girl named Billie Joe, but not Billie Jean. The Billie Joe Armstrong? That's the lead singer of Green Day. That wasn't a girl. You know, no, she actually had the worst... This is the worst name. I'm sure she's married and it's not the same, but her name was Billy Joe Hicks. So mm-hmm. it, that's like even more of a country <laughs> name. When did, when do you think, when did Christian Slater pick up the, my acting style is just going to be imitating Jack Nicholson? You know, because I, he wasn't, it wasn't like that initially. No, it, I, I, I'm sure he probably, 
I'm pretty sure he did it before this, but do you remember that Tales from the Crypt? Uh, not Tales, I'm sorry. Tales from the, Tales Dark, from the Side? Dark Side? Yeah, episode. Christopher. I think that was it. Oh, yeah. I get, was that before this or after this? I don't no, know. No, I'm pretty sure it was before it because he didn't have the bleach hair. He kept the bleach hair for a while because Gleaming the Cube came out like at least like two years after this. And it's funny. I was looking at his filmography because in my head, oh, there's Dale from The Walking Dead driving by. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, I, in my head, I always feel like Christian Slater is one of those guys that just kept coming, like had such high peaks and peaks and valleys in his career. But if you look at it really from here on, he had a really good run for a long time. Not necessarily all huge hits, but films that people like, you know. I mean, it went from this into Heathers, and then you have Gleaming the Cube and Cuffs. and. Well, I don't know if you know this, but his mom was actually a very famous, prominent casting agent. Yeah, casting yeah. agent. And I got to think that not, that, not that she had the power to make his career, but, like, I mean, she at least, like, had enough to probably point, you know, knowledge, I would say, to point him in the right direction. Yeah. To book. It just of, really does seem like from here up until about Broken Arrow... He was doing pretty good, and then like I don't know really what happened sad. after that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's kind of funny that you say that, because Broken Arrow seems so much newer than this, but Broken Arrow is really only, like, 11 years after this. Yeah, no, I was actually surprised at how how quickly after this Young Guns 2 came along. I would right. think it was, like, so much later, but it's really not. It's, like, four years, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I think the first Young Guns was, like, four years. I think Young Guns 2 was made, like, five years, six years later. Mm. Here we have... Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, man. I am blanking on their names. What are the characters' name here? Yarley Smith and the other girl. Uh, wasn't it like Ophelia and right? I can't remember the other one's name. They were watching like Wendy Williams from Reform School Girls in a wrestling match. There, I, I really don't know what movie that was from that they were watching because it wasn't wrestling. Wrestling, you could tell it was like from a movie. Ophelia and Putter. That's right, Ophelia and Putter. Thank you so oh, much. Here we got the great Peter Coyote. By the way, Peter Coyote, wouldn't you say probably the most underrated actor of the 80s? I mean, oh, this, one of them for sure, yeah. I mean, this, I, he's just one, he's one of those guys that you never go out of your way to watch a Peter Coyote movie, but whenever right. he shows up, you're happy. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he just has the coolest presence. Like, he's, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it's one of those things he could be playing a cop, he could be playing an FBI guy, an ET, or whatever he was. Like, it, like, it doesn't matter. Like, he instantly oozes, like, a guy who's, like, in control but super relaxed. Mm-hmm. And somehow, But to be sure, he always is playing a cop or an FBI guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. But but he, he – I don't know how he does it because especially back then, like, those characters were always so one-dimensional. But he's always, like, so deep and thoughtful and, like, the good kind of authority figure that – you know what I mean? Like, yeah. very, very uh, trustworthy and whatnot. I really like the Yardley Smith character in this also. Like it's it would be easy to have that kind of character be annoying, right? Like the the kind of you know dumb, yeah. yeah. But there's just something about the way she plays it that comes across actually really sweet, and you're like, oh yeah, I could see why people would want to be friends with that person. Yeah, she said on the commentary track that at the time they made this movie, she was 20 years old playing 13. Mm-hmm. So with the I guess the wardrobe people, or whoever, like they put like ace bandages, like they literally wrapped down her chest so you couldn't see you know her breasts or whatever because you know they wanted her to look young, like undeveloped, or whatever. I feel like Yarley Smith could play thirteen now. Oh, exactly. Yeah. But even the even the other girl, like the older sister, is really like, really good. And here we have the shattering reveal of the bike. What, what kind of bullies steal your thing? Like, they know who stole it. There's no... Mm-hmm. They watch them steal the the, the motor uh, scooter away, and now they bring it back completely 100% totaled. Like, even if you... I don't even know if you... 
I doubt that they would live in the trailer park. They just have insurance. But even if you did have insurance, that'd be a total loss, and you would lose your ass on it because you never get paid what uh, you know it costs to. Uh... No wonder he wants to go to Vermont. Did you see that poster? Yeah, I did. We should talk about that. This is the only movie I think in history where the the fantasy of the main characters is to go to Vermont. Exactly. <laughs> never for, heard of that. For people who, who you know haven't seen this movie in a while or never seen it. Like, that's kind of becomes, like, a big character motivation for Christian Slater. You know, his dream is to go to Vermont. And uh, basically, it was it was a girl in a bikini, pretty much naked, but in a bikini, mm-hmm. technically, holding some skis in front of a mountain. That mountain could have been anywhere. Christian Slater yeah. doesn't want to be where that girl was. It didn't matter. Uh, granted, though, if you're living in Corpus Christi, I guess right. Vermont might seem nice. They talk about, you know, they actually do a really good job in this film. Or when I watch this film, I feel the heat. Because every yeah. character is just, and especially, like you said, on this Blu-ray, it looks great. You can see the sweat on everyone and just do you feel like man that looks like it's miserable and uh you know a lot of 80s movies are like this but i think it works in the favor of selling that heat is uh this is before films were like really messed around a computer high contrast it 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 almost has like a little bit of a washed out look in outdoor scenes but it works because it sells Mm -hmm. that bright you know kind of daylight that makes your eyes constantly squint yeah, but I mean, look at both of these people. It doesn't look like there's yeah. like air conditioning's been invented yet. You know? Yeah, I mean, people are sweaty in almost every scene of this movie. Like even when they get to Keith Gordon's house later, like they're still walking around sweaty. So yeah. I mean, here we have what would happen if you mixed Burt Reynolds and Stacy Keach. Yeah, and I feel like a dick for not looking this guy's name up, but this guy is the perfect sleaze bag. This it's actor. Richard Bradford. I happen to have the IMDb up and open in front of me now. There you go. Yeah, Richard Bradford. He plays. Plays Hubie's father. Basically, what yeah. happens is, um, this is like, what do you call this? Like a, it's not really a sporting goods thing. It's just like one of those junky beach knickknack stores you would see. Yeah, it's for tourists, you know. Yeah, to buy flip flops and frisbees and bullshit and see seashells and <laughs> fake seashells. Yeah, fake seashells from China. <laughs> But, um, yeah, here comes this fucking sleazeball. And he has, like, what do you call that? Like, the bolo tie? He's wearing, like, mm-hmm. a denim shirt. Actually, bolo guess... tie's not even, like, all the way up, either. It's just, like, a loose uh-huh. bolo tie. Yeah, I guess it's not a bolo uh, denim shirt. It's just a blue shirt. But, yeah, it's bolo tie. I mean, he, he got that perfect... He almost had, like, a Clark Cable mustache. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this movie takes place, like, 1985 or whatnot. But clearly, this is a guy, you know, and with his hairdo. You know, it's clearly a lot of... Uh, dye going on in his hair like not the dark dye but the the reddish brownish kind of bad dye um trying to be smooth and suave and uh yeah i mean i can't i can't think of any sleaze bags in any movie that were better than this guy in all honesty yeah the moment he tells hubie to leave and that door closes and they're alone together you just know things are heading in a a bad direction but it's interesting like there's something about like this kind of scene in an 80s film is so different than it would be today Right. And just that it's, I don't want to, I hate to say like the, the almost sexual assault is like film is more casual, but it kind of is. It doesn't even become the main driving point of the film. You know, it's really like still the fact that he didn't give her the money for the scooter. That's the bigger issue. Right. Which is kind of surprising. And I have seen people talk about this being a feminist film, but I think if it was done today, this would be the bigger issue and it would really be this kind of railing against this, you know. And and honestly though, I mean, you know, like, that is one thing, like, I'm very squeamish about, like, I can sit through all the gore and whatever, but, like, I never like when, like, uh, a rape-type situation, even an exploitation mm-hmm. movies, is, like, presented for entertainment. Like, if you're making, like, a yeah. Holocaust movie, like, you know, fine, put it in there, because, you know, that's the kind of shit that happened, but, like, 
But yeah, but I mean, this is subtle, and this is actually reads more real to me than if they would have like, like you know, gone full bore and did like a rape type storyline. Because yeah. yeah. like, I feel like this was actually you know, obviously there's unfortunately there's like a lot of sexual assaults and all that, and whatever, one every twelve seconds, all that kind of shit. But like, I feel like this kind of like lecherous person is more prevalent than just like a guy who's going to jump out of the bushes at you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he's just so like so instantaneous about it too, and right. just so obvious. Like he really thinks like, yeah, why wouldn't she go for it? Well, he really suckers her in too. You know, she she says, you know, six hundred dollars of damage, blah blah. And he's like, oh, no problem. You know, my dumbass son will pay it. Then he tries to give her like forty bucks or whatever, and he, you know, oh, you know, come back next week. We'll work a little bit off there and all that kind of mm-hmm. just like. I mean, I think that's probably the you know the worst part of it. Really, is just like now she has to like whore herself, like this really like pure girl. You know what I mean? Who's not? Yeah. She comes from quote unquote the wrong side of the tracks, and I think that's why he feels like he can take advantage of her because they're kind of poor kids who live in a dumpy trailer park. But uh, yeah, like I don't know. Like that's a good archetype too in movies. Like the poor person who has more values and virtue than like actual people of influence and wealth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Christian Slater. So in like that upstairs office or whatever that was, that like that was definitely you know. And what what, what do you think of uh, Christian Slater? I mean, obviously he's just a kid, like whatever. You know, he got beat up by the bullies as well, trying to get his bike back. Um, they don't they don't ever show that, so we kind of gloss over that. But you know, he gets beat up. But I mean, what do you think of how willing he was just to like open up the cash register and shit? I mean, well, yeah, because so, so here when Hubie comes back in, the dad says, "Oh, you know, she this is all a trick. She wanted to lure me upstairs so that her friends could come in and rob them." Yeah. And I was just thinking, you know, no, you know what? From his point of view, that actually does seem pretty legit. Right. I mean, he comes down there and they do have the cash register open. I mean, that that does seem like what's happening. Yeah, but obviously Christian finds the little uh, pistol in there. And then uh, I think the guys, you know, the sleaze bag is more of a dumbass for trying to bluff him into being like, well, it's not loaded. And it's like, I feel like you tell a kid that a gun they're holding is not loaded. The first thing they're going to do is pull the trigger, you know, what I mean? right. just fucking around. And here Mr. Bolo Tide gets his come up and I mean, it's completely accidental. Christian Slayer just fumbling with the gun, pulling the trigger, shoots him in the shoulder here. Yeah, there it is. And even though it's, like, a real minor flesh wound type deal, like, they do a good job of dramatizing it here and the panic mm-hmm. and the whatever. Yeah, it's great. It's like, and it's a really nice, like, you know, we're not even, like, 20 minutes into the film, and it's a really nice ex- escalation of stakes, like, right away. We're like, oh, I... Yeah. And how freaked out they are, and I get it, you know? Yeah. Like, right, even just, like, that acting right there of Helen Slater, just looking so worried. And, like, I got, that's why I really got to uh, recommend this movie to people is, uh, you know, shocking. I just hit the, the little timer thing. It's shocking that this is a 95-minute film because, like, it explores so... It's one of the better teen films, I think, you know, of the 80s. Not, you know, not talking about the John Hughes type of teen film, but just a, a movie about young people and their place in society and what's right and values and whatnot, like... It's really an epic ride that the, that this go you know these kids, these kids go on and you know like I was watching this the other night and I was thinking like you know in a lot of ways this is almost like you know because it tackles a lot of the same themes so this is almost like natural born killers for teenagers <laughs> yeah I was it's funny today I was watching today and I'll talk more about this as we get to certain scenes but I was just thinking about how. You know, Hollywood keeps remaking, like, the wrong movies, right? Once people are too attached to and everything. And this seems, like, so open to me for a remake because this story would still totally work. 
And I'm sure there's some young starlet who this would be great for, like, you know, like uh, throwing them out there into the Hollywood world. And I was just thinking, too, and it, well, there's a particular sequence we'll get to later where I was like, man, this might even work as a TV show. Because as, as self-contained really and good as the story is, there's so much more you could do with them on the road and, like, the legend of her building over, like, a, a an arc of, you know, a couple, couple seasons. Years, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I knew we were going to talk remake, as we always do. <laughs> and, like, I think the Hollywood choice for this, like, right off the bat, I'm thinking Daisy Ridley to be the new Billie Jean. Yeah, see, but that's not what I would want. <laughs> no, no, know? yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, find some, like, really young, unknown girl and, you know, or, like, one of those Disney Channel girls that's maybe ready to make take the next step. And Right. But I, this would be, because, like, this film isn't one that people are super attached to, and oh. it's not super well known and that's why i think you'd you'd have a better shot of a remake with this well you know I, like i definitely get why people get prickly when somebody does like a remake of something like say ghostbusters because it's like oh here's the 2015 and i know the movie came out 2016 but <laughs> here's the 2015 version of ghost but see the cg like you're basically just paying to see a a graphics upgraded uh, yeah. You know, whereas I feel like there's a little more integrity in remaking a film like The Legend of Billie Jean because a wasn't wasn't huge the first time it was around. I mean, you know, so there's not as many people that have that childhood attachment to it. But really, it's like I feel like these are themes uh, that are like so relevant today. Still, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And like mm -hmm. that's the kind of good movie you can remake because you can change. I mean, you could do anything. Like you could even like you know honestly you could you could. Um, play with like the racial diversity of the cast like these don't have to be poor white kids from texas no. they could yeah. be from anywhere you know what i mean any any part of the country you know mm -hmm. and um <clears throat> here we get peter coyote he's coming on the scene here to find sleazebag blood <laughs> everywhere <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah I, I like how they initially id billy jean from like a high school yearbook <laughs> But I do like so this is a nice moment for Peter Coyote's character, where just right away you see like the, like right away you get how decent he is because he's instantly like not on not against her, you know. Right. Right away he says like I think I screwed this up since he had the chance earlier to help her and exactly. Didn't. You know, it's not really the job of the police, and that's probably the mode he was thinking in when they mm -hmm. came to her to intervene in some things like this, but. You know, the type of, you know, the, the way his character is, and his character really goes out of his way, and we'll get into it as we go, but he really goes out of the way to try to not necessarily make the situation right, but just to get the kids home so that they're safe, you know what I mean? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't really care about, quote-unquote, justice for this, these scumbags. I mean, he walks in right away and sees that all, like, all of this was the son's fault, and then later on, to even larger degree, the father's fault, you know, the sleazebag here. Here we have the uh, the mini golf place that will become their hideout throughout the film. Yeah, and like, you know, getting into more character depth, which, you know, obviously a big part of the 1980s movie Graveyard is, you know, praising these films that we feel like, you know, maybe are a little forgotten. But, uh, you know, I don't mean to make every episode uh, about slamming current cinema, but, you know, there's always that thing now of like, of like oh, we don't have time for this. We don't have to, the, the audience now wants this and this. And, like, I think this movie kind of earns its, like, overall stripes for, like, just little scenes like this that break it down. Like, you know, we like, when they're hanging out at this golf place, like, we see, like, you learn so much more about your Lee Smith's character being the shut-in, you know, girl with probably, like, a super religious mom and all that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, just the opportunity just to run away. And it's not really rebelling just to be bad, but it's, like, 
you know, like this movie, like one of the main themes of it is, you know, young person, you know, all young people, anybody who's a teenager, you're clawing and whatever for that freedom, you know, and, and uh, that's what these characters are going through. It's a testament to Helen Slater's beauty that I find her so cute in this, despite some truly atrocious outfits. Oh yeah, and like, and like, <laughs> well, well, like for people who've seen this movie before, what do you think is worse? Do you think like Sunday School, Helen Slater, the first half, or wetsuit chopped hair? <laughs> like, uh, like, wh- where's the fashion worse? Uh, you know what? I actually really like um, <laughs> when she gets the chopped hair and the wetsuit. Yeah. I love her from like the waist up. It's those right. giant pants yeah, that I think like really ruined the uh, pants. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, but I do love just the look of her as you see on like the cover of the DVD with like right. the, the wetsuit open and the fingerless gloves. Love that. Uh, that's really great. Great, yeah. There's a lot of great uh, cinematography. I mean, great. You know, that's overstating it maybe, yeah. but. Like, a lot of really nice shots, actually. Yeah. Even, like, earlier, the scene when he had her up in the office and he was about to attack her, the way they the way they staged that with the light coming in from that oh, window, yeah. you know, there's really nice stuff in here. Yeah. This, the, the director of this actually, I don't know if you knew this, but the director of this film went on to be, uh, he's actually a very common uh, collaborator with Guillermo del Toro. Really? He wrote Mimic, he wrote Crimson Peak, um, he wrote to that Don't Be Afraid of the Dark movie, uh, wow. so, yeah. That's kind of where he's gone now. I'm, gl- I'm glad he's still working, but obviously, wish he was directing more. Yeah, and I think I think this movie does a great job of capturing that on the run feel with you know, because like there's constantly scenes of them going to uh, supermarkets and buying potato chips and shit because they ain't got real no real money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, plus it's realistic too, and just that that's what kids would do, right? Yeah. And, I, I mean, it's subtle and it's whatever, but, like, you know, here you have Yearly Smith kind of, you know, we're on the run. We might as well do criminal shit. She's trying to steal all this food and shit like that. And uh, I, th- I think kind of like a, you know, it goes on and it escalates with even more of the shit Christian Slater does as the movie goes on. But, like, I think there's, like, a good theme here of, like, your behavior... You know, obviously, other than the situation, but, like, your behavior as a person, your values, like, getting warped because of, like, the situation you're in. And it's almost like, I mean, like, these aren't the kind of kids that normally would be stealing all this shit and doing all this shit. But, I mean, obviously, you know, the situation, which they did not create or want, has forced them into, you know, doing all this extreme shit all the time. But, again, character-wise, we see that, you know, Billy... Billy Jean won't allow them to just steal right, stuff. Right. And that's another great touch that, you know, I don't I don't know if you would see in movies today. She's already kinda got the fly fishing pants going already, even now in mm. the movie. But yeah, we we have these kids here who I guess are like Richie Rich kids or whatever. They they spot her. This is only day two, but the press has blown this up because it's such a great sensationalistic story. Mm-hmm. They actually the Richie Rich kids, they actually, you know, buy all the shit because I guess their dad's outside filling up the car. So they're like, yeah, put it on my dad's account. I'm like, whatever. I'm like, could you really do that even back then? <laughs> now, I was just looking at this director, and I don't know if you know this, Goat, but this is the guy. This guy directed Corvette Summer. Oh, wow. Uh, Dragon Slayer. Oh, Dragon Slayer's great. And then he went on after this to direct Batteries Not Included. Oh, nice. 
So, so he even got into the Spielberg camp a little bit. Back yeah, he did. A, he did an amazing stories also. Uh, but then after Batteries Not Included, all he did was a, a TV movie called Mothers, Daughters, and Lovers. And then in 1991, he directed Bingo. Uh, and then that was it for him as a director. I feel like Batteries Not Included was somewhat inspired by that Spielberg kick the can uh, episode in Twilight Zone, the movie. Like Spielberg, mm-hmm. he really wanted to produce some shit on uh, about some old people. <laughs> And unfortunately, old people and tiny miniature robots is not what the audiences were looking for with batteries not included. Well, was, I, that's that, like, after Cocoon, you know, Hollywood yeah. was like, oh, I guess old. old people are marketable, you know? Do you remember how, like, out of nowhere, Don Amici was, like... Yeah, he was from, like a superstar. Yeah. yeah, he went from, like, literally being in a movie, like, every three years as a bit part to being, like, co-starring and shit, like, every every year, pretty much. Remember Folks with him and Tom Selleck? Yeah, I actually do. <laughs> really like I really like that movie. Yeah, I have to watch it again. It's been years since I've seen that. But there's something to be said for that. Like, so recently I saw the new Star Trek film, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a scene near the end where uh, Zachary Quinto is looking at a picture of the original crew. They actually managed to throw it in there where it's and it's a picture from Star Trek Six. Wow. And I and it was like a cool like it was nice. Obviously, a little tribute moment. But I also realized that oh man, I I'm realizing as I'm watching this that. The reason I like the old Star Trek films more is because it was about an old crew. Right. And I was like, that's really cool because you don't get that anymore of, like, you know, a bunch of, like, older people being the heroes. And there's no way they would ever allow that today. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it really is a testament to kind of how serious and real this film is that they spend so much time on the adult characters. Because, you know, this being a youth-oriented movie... You know, you would think the studio notes were like, just show the kids, just show the kids. That's what the kids mm-hmm. want to see. But like, no, nah, they're they're actually into making this a full movie. You know, yeah. Coyote um, has a lot of scenes going head to head with that scumbag <laughs> father. Yeah, and where I have to give the film credit is, I think like most people would write this film would. Um, well, she's turning into a Woody Allen character here. Yeah, she, uh, <laughs> it's a boy George Woody Hall Allen hat, character. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I think it'd be easy to write this movie and just have it be, oh, this guy didn't want to pay her, then he tried to rape her, and then he's just kind of scummy for the rest of the film. Right. And But I love the element of him starting to exploit her and actually yeah. make merchandise with her on it. And yeah. it just makes, like, it, it pushes his, like, despicability, like, that one, and one extra step further. But it also seems so real, because we see all the time how culture, like, exploits these kind of stories and sensationalism. And, yeah, and it is, his merchandise empire grows and grows as the movie goes on. And this, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, this is a, like a really well shot, well made. This sequence, for people not following along with the movie, is basically Coyote sets up this thing. He actually puts his own money on the line. He gives the scumbag father at the shopping mall for uh, Billie Jean to kind of come out of hiding to collect the money. Cause that's their whole thing was, you know, the principle of it. This movie's all about the principle of it and stuff. And, uh, Billie Jean, you know, they'll turn themselves in and, you know, they'll face the music for the scumbag getting shot accidentally, but they want the money. It just, you know, they want him to pay the money, uh, you know, as, as just, you know, you know, to, to not, well, I mean, you really can't make things right. You know, even at this early point in the movie, but mm-hmm. just, just, just the, you know, the moral of it or whatever. And uh, this, you know, Coyote's here, and he's, he, you know, he's trying to tell this scumbag father, like, don't fuck this up, don't do whatever, and uh, and the guy's just like, I can't believe you put your own money up for this whore and this, one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 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 if anything, you think the scumbag father would relish this opportunity, but like, I guess he just really like 
he sees himself being in the position of power. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like he, he, he has even more to gain. Like, him getting shot in the arm is the best thing that ever fucking happened to him in his hokey story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Drunk on power. But this is a great sequence here. Great mall, too. You don't see cool malls here, like escalators with, like, levels of plants and ferns and little gardens and shit. Like, the few malls that are around or the newer design malls are very boring and concrete and yeah, this still has that like clear like seventies aesthetic to it, right. you know, as where it, which is when all those malls were built. And I love the seventies kind of architectural aesthetic where like they're trying to make everything look modern. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Super like futuristic to a point. You know what I mean? Compared to yeah. like what we do. Like now everybody has more of the nostalgia to try to make shit look more old. I would say. But yeah, here we go with the handoff. And what does the scumbag do? He's got the envelope of money. He's dangling. Come on, come on! He fucking drops on the floor, puts his foot on it. Then he yells out for Hubie and Hubie's goons, I guess, to, oh, to come Hubie and catch Hubie was him. hiding behind a fern that entire time. He, yeah, he was. He jumps out. And now uh, we get some, uh, if I remember correctly, the soundtrack here is Billy Idol, Rebel Yell. Is mm-hmm. that, that's right, yep. yeah. And uh, this is a great little sequence. She climbs up the escalators. You know, this, this kind of adventure ensues here. And, uh, you know, I guess they anticipated shit was going to go right, so they shoplifted out of KB Toys, uh, you know, these uh, walkie-talkies and whatever, and they left IOUs for it. And, of course, Slater uh, took the uh, toy gun, which, unfortunately, will cause more problems than anything else, probably, in the rest of this movie. Yeah, this movie was made before they put those little red caps in the front of the guns. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I do remember buying, like, I had a cap gun that was, like, a forty-five. It was very heavy and, like, all metal and looked real. Like, you actually could get toy guns that looked almost completely real back then. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that there was a, I love that little moment right there where Peter Coyote's running on the marbles. Yeah. And he has this like grin on his face. Like he's actually pretty impressed with, yeah. you know, their the thinking. Yeah. 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 So like that was another thing I guess they stole was the marbles and you know, they were ready for shit to go sideways, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And uh Yeah, she dumped the marbles and Hubie and his goons went spilling out. I love this scene. Like I don't know, there's so, there's something about this movie, like for people who haven't seen it, they're just listening to this episode. They probably think this movie's like super preachy, but for a movie that has so many damn themes and morals and whatnot, like it actually is. It has that sense of adventure and fun that you really, you know, like you know, this is um, is this PG or PG thirteen? I can believe it's PG thirteen. Yeah, like PG thirteen movies now are usually so grim and dark and violence filled. See, see, okay, here's where you know Peter Cody's a, a good cop, like. Uh, Christian Slater pulls the, t- pulls the toy gun out on him, and he doesn't immediately shoot Christian Slater. <laughs> oh, no way, IMDb is telling me this is rated R. Really? If That's it is, I, I well, can only imagine it's because it has two F words in it. Yeah, I guess that could be true. Let me grab my DVD case real quick. I'm curious. Now we see the escalation where Billy Jean's becoming like a media star already. We get all these different people interviewed, and that's another thing where, like I said, they could we could build this up more with like an expanded version, but it works pretty well in the film how quickly like the legend builds. Oh yeah, because especially with Tina, I don't know, man. The Blu-ray saying PG thirteen. Yeah. Okay. So I guess there's some some debate about this. But. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess there's a ratings controversy with the legend of Billy Jean here. But no, yeah. But I don't know. Like I feel like. And that's another thing I kind of wanted to, you know, I was thinking about last night. I was like, oh, you could totally remake this because of the themes and whatnot. But I don't know if you could. I mean, 
without getting too preachy and too whatever and sounding like a dick here, I don't know if the millennial generation really has the um, the sense of rebellion and stuff that teenagers in the eighties did. You know, like I, I mean, I don't know. Like I don't know if they share those same like values and whatnot. You know, mm-hmm. it's a much more sensitive culture we live in now than when this film was made. Like, I'm kind of almost surprised that, you know, they kind of do have the kids rallying around. But I feel like if you made this movie now, you'd have to have, like, a massive, like, protest scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then the police would that's come probably out and, like, the, yeah, That's everybody. probably the thing. Is it, would, it would have to be, like, it wouldn't be that he tried to rape her. It would be yeah. that he tried to, like, deny her from going in the bathroom she wanted to use or something. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that would be <laughs> a real hot, hot, hot button topic <laughs> to infuse in the movie. Yeah. Or he's trying to like he's he's supporting like uh you know a Native American mascot for a sports team. There you so, go. So that's why everyone's rallying against him. So here we kind of have the moment where the kids are like, "Do we want to continue doing this? Do we want to you know whatever?" And like they you know they let's go ahead, let's let's push the point. Which I mean I think that's what a young person would do. They you know at this point you know the stakes are getting higher and higher. But like I don't think kids this age. I, I think probably even Billy Jean's probably supposed to be under 18, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think so. Like, I don't think they would, like, really grasp the seriousness of, like, how kind of fucked they are in a legal sense, you know what I mean? <laughs> and here we go, more crimes, they're hungry, so they break into a mansion. Yeah, and actually it was actually Billy Jean who suggested it, so now, you know, yeah. she's clearly thinking, like, well, we're screwed at this point, like you just said, like... Yeah. Uh, at this point, we 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 have no choice, you know. But with the IOUs for all the shit they stole out of the toy store, I still think almost like, well, they they almost have like, well, this ain't that bad. We're just gonna come eat some food and go to sleep. Like, mm-hmm. like if somebody came to our house, we would offer them, you know, a dinner and a couch to sleep on. So it's not that, you know what I mean. I try to put myself in the shoes of someone watching this for the first time because I I was so young I don't remember. Yeah. But that that shot right there where you know it so they broke into this house they're all eating and then we cut to them on like these like closed cap these closed circuit TVs. Right. And like a werewolf hand comes in and yeah. scrolls across and I just wonder like how many people watching this film are like what the hell is this co- is this suddenly becoming a horror film is that the legend of Billie Jean that she becomes a werewolf like fighter at this yeah, point? Yeah, Billie Jean werewolf slayer. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a great shot. I think it's this shot right here down the hallway where you see the werewolf walk by as she kind of turns and walks the other way. And like I, I, I do, I'm wondering uh, how this played in theaters the first time yeah. people saw it. Well, there's people just like, oh my god, like this movie yeah. just jumped. You know, well, yeah, I was, I was into it. Shark, but, yeah. Now the werewolf's creeping up on her. And, like, from a distance, it looks like a pretty good werewolf, but when you see it up close here in a second, like, I'm not really sure what it's supposed to be, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. If it's, like, it's more comedic looking, you know? Like, it would look like, it looks like a horror host or something. Yeah. Or, like, a really elderly werewolf that's, like, all wimpy and stuff. But, uh, here, here we got, obviously, this is Keith Gordon's bedroom here. It's very whored out with candles and whatever, and he's a rich kid and, and all this dark and macabre. She beats him with the, uh, looks like a Gibson 335 guitar, knees him in the nuts, and that's when the jig is up. He takes off his werewolf costume mm-hmm. and all that shit. 
and uh, appropriately sweaty underneath that big latex yeah. mask as well. This is the only film I can think of. Correct me if I'm wrong. Where where Keith Gordon is treated as like such a, a like a, a hunk though, you know? Yeah. Like the moment he takes off his mask, she's like, "Oh yeah," and then her friend yeah. later sees him and she's like, "Ooh, look at him!" And I'm like, "Come on, guys, it's Keith Gordon." You know? and it, well, they, he, he you know he's still got the werewolf mask on here. He's taking asthma shots. It's like they try to dork him up, but he's got like the coolest threads and everything. Yeah. And uh, I guess this. And look at that. She's instantly into yeah, him. Yeah, she's like, ooh. <laughs> maybe maybe she likes dorks. Like uh, like weird science. She's into malakas. What can I say? <laughs> now talk about like a presence I miss in films. Uh, I really like Keith Gordon a oh, lot. I do too. Huge fan. His directing career, which I didn't even know about for a long time, but I'm really into him as a director, mm-hmm. especially his first film, The Chocolate War. But yeah, I love him, man. Um, I, actually, I have some uh, Keith Gordon memorabilia because I got the uh, the Christine Blu-ray from Twilight Time, and uh, I missed out on it initially. But later, they offered some. If you like, you spend a hundred bucks, they threw that in for free in the little booklet signed by Keith Gordon. So technically, I have Keith Gordon's autograph. Cool. And they totally like this is that kind of decked out room that when I was a kid, I was like, oh man, this guy's like my hero. Yeah, all the horror well, stuff. Yeah, that's the he he's like the more believable version of like Chainsaw and Dave from that movie right, summer yeah. school. <laughs> I love how Christian Slater's so quick to uh, pull out this fucking toy gun here on everybody. <laughs> here we go. Keith Gordon cues up, but clearly he had this uh, this news report saved on Betamax because <laughs> he it's called... almost like he expected them to come to his house. Exactly, he called that shit up. And that's another thing, well, you know, it's kind of weird. It's like, they're always traveling, running away, but it seems like they never really leave the city in this movie. Yeah, which you, th- which you think would be your first move. Yeah, get the hell out of there. But then again, she just wants her money, you know? Fair yeah. is fair. So. That is true. Maybe they're just, you know, kind of on the run while they come up with their next scheme to get the money or whatever. Now we're getting to a point where I, I, I agree with you so far that, like, all these themes are, like... They still matter, and they're dead on, and the film treats them very well. It is really funny that the film takes a giant leap here of trying to draw a parallel between Billie Jean and Joan of Arc. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where it maybe takes, like, a, a step too far, you know? But I mean, it's definitely trying to say she's the modern Joan of Arc or the MTV generation Joan of Arc, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's really... She's just trying to get money for a scooter, you know? <laughs> exactly. Joan, Joan of Arc really was somebody who was sacrificed, you know? But then again, I guess, like, in the sense of the reality of the film, like, a a 16-year-old girl watching this movie and being like, oh, I'm like Joan of Arc. I guess I can buy into that, you know. I mean, he's got a reel-to-reel. Yeah, he's got everything. You always see them great uh, AV setups in 80s movies. Probably got a laser displayer in there somewhere. Now, what do you think of Keith Gordon's pink Cadillac bed that he sleeps in the trunk <laughs> yeah. of it? Like, like you know, you see those like kids' beds that are like look like the outline of a car. But this oh is man, a, I had a race car bed when I was a kid. Yeah, this isn't like that. This actually has like it's like the bottom half of like a, a, a Cadillac, pink Cadillac, mm-hmm. and like the just the trunk lid is off, and like you have to crawl actually into the trunk of the bed yeah. to sleep in. It's very bizarre, almost like a coffin. Maybe the, maybe he is a vampire, or a werewolf, or something. And I love this moment because it's so shocking as a kid when he jumps out the window. But if you mm. look closely here, you can still see, like, his jacket. You can tell he just climbed onto the ledge right yeah. there. And, and obviously, uh, this this water slide was just placed there for the day or whatever. Because, like, 
it's like in order to jump out your window to take a water slide all the way to your pool, like there'd have to be a hose running like twenty four seven. Right, and actually, I think you could tell. Like, it even looks like when they're going down the water slide, there's like yeah. very little water. But yeah. whenever they come out of it, it's like this huge spray. So exactly, there's just really a guy with a bucket at top, and then when they came <laughs> out, they just like drenched it. And I, I found this interesting. Like she stays up, you know, she's not. She stays up in the room. She keeps, she's mesmerized by Joan of Arc here. Mm-hmm. And Keith Gordon like instantly realizes that she's not coming out. And he's staring at like the empty bedroom window. Like he knows something is up with yeah. Billie Jean, even though he just met her literally five minutes ago. You know, but he's already in love with her. And I mean, I don't blame him. So oh no, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously he was in love with her the second they put her her picture on the news or whatever. You know what I mean? But I do think it's interesting that he doesn't—he doesn't go up to check on her. No, he just stares at that window, like, "Hmm, she's in there." <laughs> and I think that was kind of like a kid fantasy type deal they put in the movie. I think everybody, when you're a kid, you dream of just jumping into a uh, pool fully dressed. You know what I mean? Seems mm-hmm. like such a crazy thing to do. Here they continue the food orgy outside. Just eat Yardley Smith eating her six pound of birthday cake. <laughs> Damn. She said on the commentary that she actually got sick because she was sitting there eating that shit for hours and hours. Oh uh, yeah, in multiple scenes. Yeah. I think I think if I had to like do a scene like that in a movie, like I would like do the busy work and be like, I'm not eating a sandwich. I'm making a sandwich. <laughs> you don't have to eat like 25 sandwiches or whatever. So here we have the haircutting. I wonder what kind of bonus she had to be paid for this. Because if you think about it, so she did Supergirl, and then this. This right. is definitely like a at a point where her people and her had to be had to think she was a star on the rise. Right. That's a pretty big. That's a pretty big move to make to cut all your hair off. Because where her hair was at before it was cut off, and where it goes down to, that's I don't care who you are. That's a solid three years to regrow mm-hmm. that length. You know what I mean? But yeah, and, and they kind of like do the thing where like they cut, you know, they show her grabbing her hair and cut it, and obviously, I mean, she cut it for real. It's not a wig or anything, but obviously, they they had the the stylist of the movie cut her hair, and then like you look at it, like it's actually really good, but it's like a pretty unique like haircut because like it's kind of like buzz on the sides and the back, but she has like enough <sighs> hair for like a little yeah, part. I was thinking when I watched, I wonder, I, I don't remember how it played like back then, but I was thinking when I watched it today, like that would be so in today. Right. Like, that just looks so modern even for right now. And you look at the back of her neck here, like there's even some length on like mm-hmm. just little wispy length on the back. So like, it, it's almost like a skinhead girl haircut to be honest with you. Well, I was about to say she looks great, but uh, not because it's a skinhead thing. But... No. But uh, yeah, the uh, the iconic uh, wetsuit shirt uh, here, which I always I always took it that was Keith Gordon's wetsuit because mm-hmm. I mean why was she had a wetsuit or whatever? But uh, yeah, she chopped the shit out of that wetsuit, chopped the sleeves off, <laughs> everything. They make her uh, her Billie Jean manifesto, her her tape uh, to send to the authorities to explain what happened and stuff. And uh, I was always you know. I, this little bit here where Keith Gordon's saying goodbye and all that, and obviously he runs back out of the car, wait, wait, I can help you. So, but I'm kind of surprised that they just didn't, like, have him just going already, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, it seemed like he was all in, you know what I mean? She, oh, she looks so new wave now with, like, that yes, hair and the, the big jacket. She looks like she should be, like, in a Talking Heads video. Or... I was going to say, that's exactly what I was thinking <laughs> 
<laughs> with that big suit. Here he comes running out. Wait, wait, I can rope myself up. And and I, I love the, the piece of ADR dialogue uh, when, like, he's kind of, like, roping himself up to show he can be a hostage. Like, clearly in editing, they're like, oh, this is kind of like a whatever moment. So they, they loop in the line of the girl going, what in the world is that boy doing? <laughs> <laughs> Here he is roping himself up. I love he even put a piece of tape on his jacket sleeve that he could put it over his mouth. He had it all figured out. Yeah. And obviously, initially, Billie Jean says, no, we can't do that. That's not what we, you know, that's not the type of stuff we do and all that kind of shit. But, uh, but yeah, they, I think they definitely needed this bit of leverage, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they, they had no leverage at this point in the movie. But I like that. I love that. Like this gang too. Like Yearly Smith is like cuddling with a teddy bear. You know. I know. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the the media is just reporting how you know cutthroat they are. Whatnot. Even the little kids in Texas wear cowboy boots with their pants I tucked know. in. Yeah. yeah, this is like a three year old boy. Uh... Yeah, nobody wonders where this kid's like family no. is. No, like no. they and he just like he hangs out in this police station for a while, and it's never a concern of like, wait, where are you supposed to be? Exactly. And, like, it's totally the police station, but if you look at the building, it's really just, like, a city hall. I'm like, mm-hmm. did they have to build, like, a makeshift, like, 24-7, around-the-clock Billy Jean, like, manhunt, you know, office to accommodate all the press and shit? See, okay, Peter Coyote's a true actor, because he's eating in the scene, but you never see a, a speck of food. <laughs> he's got fingers <laughs> pretending to put in his mouth, pretending to chew something. He's even gumming it like he's got that imaginary M&M stuck in his gums. <laughs> All right, so, okay. The little kid walks in with a VHS tape, right? Mm-hmm. But Keith Gordon had a Sony beta movie camera. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did say he could make them copies, though. So okay. he had the kind of yeah. setup where he could. It's also funny that they have the scene with the kid delivering the tape, but it's completely superfluous because then yeah. they just end up watching this on TV anyways. Exactly. And I love how the little kid like acts like he had no idea what it was. <laughs> he stay he stays and watches with the police. And here we show the parents and all that. And I think probably this you know the point in the story is, uh, you know, obviously this, it's kind of like the cool thing because Billy Jean's an outlaw. I think is why all the kids were on her side or whatnot. But I think at this point in the story, this is really where the teenage community starts really. Um, you know, getting behind her because they see that, you know, she's really not this, like, you know, they see her herself, herself, you know, it's not just a picture on the whatever, like, they see her own words, they see how she's fighting for what's right and whatnot, and I, I feel like you know, this is the the turning point in the moment where the, the public opinion really starts getting behind her and whatnot. She strikes that pose, and look at that, it's already yeah. iconic. I know. <laughs> look at the little boy grinning. <laughs> These these police officers are disgusted by this. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you one thing: if they if if they remade this today, Peter Coyote's partner would be John Leguizamo. It would be Peter Coyote would be played by Idris Elba. <laughs> His partner would be John Leguizamo. Now here we get another great addition to the cast: uh, yeah. Dean Stockwell. Yeah. Which I you know I don't know exactly what the the budget of this movie was. Obviously, it wasn't super high, but it wasn't super low either. I love back in the day when you could just like even on a mid budget movie, you could just kind of up the production value by um, just getting a really rock solid cast of name actors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
So here we have the police trying to figure out, you know, what happened. Obviously, the son's been taken hostage. Dean Stockwell's, you know, he's really not buying it either. Like, he's kind of like, he knows his son is mm-hmm. like a fuck around. But, P- but Peter Cody, he's really, you know, he sees all the cake and the, the Diet Coke cans, <laughs> whatever. He, he, he knows that this is just, you know, another kid jumping on the Billie Jean bandwagon, joining the gang, so to speak. Another great scene, Peter Coyote just being that smooth motherfucker that everybody knows and loves. <laughs> okay, I, Stockwell was uh, on fire back then. I mean, he pretty much had a To Live and Die in L.A., Legend of Billie Jean, uh, Blue Velvet trifecta going on around this time. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, what, time, what year did Quantum Leap start? I want to say around 86. Yeah, so it's like right around, right after this. Yeah, he's working like a mofo. Mm-hmm. Now, the only this is one of the few moments that I think the acting is a little rough in the yeah. scenes where he starts like laughing and she's laughing. It doesn't look genuine from either of them. Yeah, kind of looks like fucking around. Yeah, they're trying to shoot his ransom tape, but you know, like they're on the run. I get it; they have the camera, but like. Aren't they going to need something to edit out all his laughing and bullshit? <laughs> like, you know I mean? like, where are they going to transfer this to? They have a battery-powered VCR <laughs> in the back of that station wagon or what? I mean, the 80s was definitely the time for, like, short blonde hair. And, you know, we got Bridget Nielsen and Annie Lennox. Oh, yeah. Billie Jean. I wonder what started that. Because, I mean, obviously this movie didn't start it. Yeah, I gotta say, and no offense to the lovely residents of Texas, but uh, this movie, you know, it kind of—I don't know—it it, kind of with the, with the the locations they chose and whatnot. Like, you do get that feeling of oppressed youth just living mm-hmm. in like a dirt ball <laughs> environment. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like I said, you can you can see like why Christian Slater's character is so like, let's get out of here. Yeah, let's go to Vermont because they got mm-hmm. snow and girls with big boobs. <laughs> but realistically, what do you what do you think would happen in this situation? Do you think they would immediately uh the put the authorities I'm talking about, you think they would immediately just uh lump uh Gordon in here with the gang or do you think they would just be like really trying to rescue the shit out of him because he is the son of a, a wealthy businessman there? Yeah, I mean do you feel like you'd hit you'd have to like uh play the game right of just saying like he's a hostage even if you don't believe it yeah just for the you know his rich ass family to kind of save face or whatnot i just think that that's one thing about like this film that wouldn't track today right is thing i love this huge statue of her huge paper mache statue (laughs) by the way yeah the sleazebag father because he's got like his full empire of uh cheaply made billy jean merch he's now got a huge paper mache uh, statue. Like when I say huge, I mean it's probably like a, it's almost like a bust more. It's like a waist mm-hmm. up type thing deal going on here, and it's it's easily what twenty feet high. They're lower yeah. on top of the stand. They got beachfront stands now to sell all this t-shirts and shit and posters and hats. Say Billy. Well, Jean. I was watching this and thinking like, look at how much merchandise there is with Billy Jean's name on it and pictures of her, and I was thinking yeah. like, geez, there must be some warehouse somewhere right. that's just like full of all this like Billy Jean stuff. But maybe not, judging by what happens at the end. But we'll get to that later. But yeah, just, I, like this is a film that seems like there might be like a 
like this treasure trove of like collectibles out there that somebody has and doesn't realize it or whatever, you know? Yeah, I, w- I even did. I had the exact same thought last night, and I even did a Google search, and I could not come up with anybody because you know, a lot of times stuff shows up just on image searches, but you know, stuff people have they put on blogs or whatever. But I couldn't find anybody with one of these t-shirts or hats still surviving. Yeah. So I, that's such a nice detail though that he hung up the shirt that he got shot in. Yeah, yeah. It's like look at this. It's yeah. such a but what I was saying earlier is like the news, like there was so little going on in the world, right? That this could become a huge story. Exactly. Just this girl who shot a guy in the shoulder and is like on the run. Like that wouldn't even stand a chance of getting like a, a no. blip on our attention today. Probably know? wouldn't even make lo- local news now. Yeah. They're like, no, it has to be a full blown murder for us to report <laughs> yeah. it with our fear based, co- uh, pro- you know, broadcasting standards now. Man, this guy keeps getting scummier and scummier to his father. <laughs> I kind of like, too, that there's, like... I like the way this movie portrays, like, the society of kids that are always out and instantly recognize Billie Jean. She can't even sit in a car parked for, like, five minutes without somebody, mm-hmm. you know. Nearly Smith just eating four Kit Kats at once. I know. Like, it's just <laughs> instead of four mini... Candy bars is just one shoving that shit in her face. But see, this is a moment like uh, this. So this is the sequence that when I was watching today, it made me think like, oh, I could see a TV show of this because there's so much more you could do with her becoming this, like going from town to town and like helping the kids. Yeah. And like, yeah, that sounds goofy, but I mean, it might work. Right. But it's just like it's kind of there's only just one sequence in the film. And it's weird. Like it feels slightly out of place. Like there's just a one moment where. All the kids of the town like grab her, and she becomes this like rallying figure. But I kind of I, I do like it. Yeah, I mean, this movie's really about the transformation of her into a folk hero, and then mm-hmm. you know, and to some degree later, not a literal, but like somewhat of a martyr, somebody just willing to go all the way for a cause. But um, but yeah, this is like aspects of this. This is, and obviously, it's a completely different thing. But like, this is where it really reminds me of. Um, you know, natural born killers in terms of the way the media and then like the people, you know, just actual people on the street and whatnot perceive mm-hmm. this this criminal on the run, you know, and whatnot. But yeah, she goes to this house where there's a kid who's pretty much, it seems like he's just getting his ass beat day and night by yeah. his dad. I mean, his dad is really giving uh, Burt Young in Amityville Part 2 a run for the money. <laughs> And it's interesting, like, the one thing that maybe seems a little unbelievable to me is, like, every kid in the town is concerned about this kid. Yeah. Well, they, they know, like, every every punch and blow that goes on, too. Yeah. But they've never done anything or said anything to anyone. They're just waiting mm-hmm. for Gene to come and be the hero. Your sound got a little bit quiet there on the last whatever. Uh, just, like, it just seems strange that, you know... There you go. None, none of these kids could have ever done anything about this if the whole town knows, you know. But yeah, I mean, like, it, 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 and this is a great scene too because it's not like, you know, for people who haven't seen this movie, it's, it's not like this was interesting about the Billie Jean character. It's not like she's drunk on power of her notoriety and fame, <laughs> but this is kind of like the moment where she realizes like the power she does have. You know, yeah. this, this army. It's almost like a Rocky montage of the army of kids that would run. <laughs> and it's also Rocky. it's also not like she comes in and suddenly like kung no. fu fights this father or anything. No. You know, either like she's very scared. Um, you know, it's not like she's suddenly so full of herself that she thinks she's unstoppable. Yeah, she just knows what's right and she knows what's happening is wrong. 
and she's scared as hell when she walks in the door. I think that's why it's a great scene. And you know, she sees when the when the greaseball father sees that there's like a hundred kids outside. And even Keith Gordon's like out looking on the window. Shouldn't he be in there to help her? <laughs> I mean, he's like the love interest, whatnot. But uh, but yeah, and obviously, all of a sudden, this guy goes from like a mean bastard to being real nice. Oh, I got some cold soda out the back. Would you like some? Because you know, it's like fucking scary that there's like a hundred kids outside your house watching you now. This is the part that gets goofy when they walk out, though, and she says he's going to be staying with his grandma, and everyone just starts cheering. Yeah, and no. it's like, well, wait, like who's taking him to his grandma's place? Like, yeah. what's happening now? Like, yeah, like did they call the grandma and like get it set up or like what happened? <laughs> but I do like this. I love this. That, like, yeah, now we're seeing that they become such like stars. You know, right. people want their autograph. They're asking them about all these like legends they've already heard about them. Everybody taking photos with their cameras. They have that strip. Like that light yeah. strip <laughs> the flashes. And Christian Slater is exaggerating. All the kids like, did you really rob that ga- that gas station or that liquor store? Oh, yeah, that was oh, awesome. Now here we have an exciting appearance. Yeah, from, this is uh, a great cameo. Yeah, Caroline Williams, uh, Stretch from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Yeah, she was just probably right about to book TCM2. Mm-hmm. Another, another crush of mine back then because of oh, TCM2. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's... She's uh, so uh, amazingly, uh, in, a, in a real way, like a real-life woman's way, attractive mm-hmm. in that movie. Even now, she kind of looks the same. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, I'm wondering if she really was just a Texas-based actress, because back oh, then, yeah. all the Pretty movies... Oh, sure yeah, she was. Yeah, all the movies she was in were Texas. And here we have Stretch's uh, hillbilly boyfriend... You know, drive. This is back in the days when you could drive a pickup truck with a gun rack in it. <laughs> he opens fire. Is that still her. true in Texas? Or I I, yeah, I don't know. You know we, we well probably because we because we know jelly packs heat everywhere he goes. So, but uh, yeah. So this hillbilly literally just starts shooting up, and, and you know, stretches like, "Don't shoot him!" And he, I'm going for the tires, but he's completely blowing the windows out and whatnot. Someone should like re-edit the sequence. Well, it's in the daylight. I guess you couldn't. But if you could re-edit the sequence to where they pass the Leatherface chasing those guys at the beginning of Texas <laughs> <Yeah>. Chainsaw, <Stone. laughs> that'd be great. And this is actually a really great stunt here. Where this truck kind of goes up this uh, this mm-hmm. you know embankment, this wall here, and uh, completely fucking flips over. It's pretty hardcore. Mm-hmm. We never find out what happened to these two either. No, are they dead now? Yeah. I guess if they are dead, it's their fault, so. But yeah, I mean, that was a great little moment, but I wonder how much of that was, like, mandated by the studio. Like, nothing happens for 40 minutes in this movie. Get some shit going, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And here we come, going back to this being a youth-based movie. You know, there's blood all over the seat. Yarley Smith got shot, but she magically got her period when she heard the sound of gunfire. <laughs> <laughs> Yarley Smith's menstrual period uh, cycle started the second she got shot at. But she's like proud of it too. She loves it. She's becoming a woman now that she can. It seems like that's like the scene. birth of like such a, like a sociopath. You know, like yeah. it's like, oh, my first period was in a gun battle <laughs> yeah. of violence. Now, yeah. No, like, I feel like this this part is, like, when they're starting to realize kind of, like, how fucked they are. Like, the, they can't go in their car anymore. The tire's completely fucked from being shot up or whatever. And apparently, because she bled all over, 
They they just give Yarley Smith a bath in this like harbor. <laughs> that was really weird. It's like she's been baptized now, though. You know, she's become a woman. And it, it, it just because you you bleed for the first time in your first period, like she is transformed. Like look at her in this scene. She's like completely different energy coming from her character just because she got station wagon backseat all bloody. Real rite of passage. One thing I gotta kind of call out, though, is I feel like at some point in the story, though, and, you know, and obviously it's there because it pays off later, but I think Billie Jean would have fucking taken that toy gun from Christian Slater and threw it in the river there. I don't think... (laughs) And she puts up with, like, a lot of bullshit from him. I mean, it gets her brother and she loves him, but he escalates a lot of things a little more than he needs to. Yeah, he's the biggest knucklehead of the group by far. This is kind of like the part where, you know, obviously the attraction was there first, but now Keith Gordon's really working his magic. <laughs> I love how he leans over to kiss her and he's about a foot shorter than her. <laughs> well, and she's totally, and she's dressed like a man, you know, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't, like Top Gun and all that, I'm surprised we haven't in, in Nightmare on Street Part 2, Freddy... Uh, Freddy Revenge. I'm sure surprised we haven't been told over and over on the internet for the last 10 years that this movie's an allegory for being gay. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking like a a thing that would probably happen in like a more modern version. She would have the Yardley Smith character or the other friend turn out to be like have a crush on Billie Jean. Right. Right. And that's why they're willing to follow her anywhere. I could definitely see that happen. And then at some point the love triangle comes into play and she has to let let the girl down easy and say, you know, mm-hmm. I'm with this dork. And here we go, the two the two sisters here, Yarley Smith and her sister. I can't remember. Are they sisters or not? No, I think they're just friends. Yeah, they're just friends. But the older girl, this was her parents' car, like her parents like I don't think they owned it, but I think they were like the managers of the uh trailer park because the the Station Wagon has the Trailer Park logo on, painted on the side. This is a great moment that really plays in this idea of the, the legend of Billie Jean when he asks, where is she? And yeah. friend replies, everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm kind of surprised that the... Because like later on we see that the youth culture is all about Billie Jean and everybody's chopping their hair off. But we really haven't seen that to this point in the movie, you know? Right. That line would have made a lot more sense a little bit later on. Yeah, or if we'd had like a montage like showing what you just said, like already. Yeah. Everybody just wouldn't it be great just a four minute sequence scored to Pat Benatar? <laughs> just everybody <laughs> chopping their fucking hair off. Fair is fair and fucking my hair's gone now. <laughs> Here we get the uh the country club heist now. The crimes are getting more and more ridiculous as they go on. <laughs> And, like, really, what was this argument about Keith Gordon and her? Like, they're arguing about whether it's right to steal a car. And the, you know, bef- before it can, they even get done fighting about it, all of a sudden, uh, Christian Slater, here he comes with a, with a big car, big boat of a car. Pretending to be the valet, whatever. Just stole She's so upset about stealing a car, she already, like, she broke into his house earlier. I know. And here, because they're arguing too long, they have to leave the car behind. And uh, 
I was wondering, like, what's the point of this sequence? But I guess this is where they, you know, they get split yeah, they up. they split up, yeah. Yeah, Gordon and uh, Binks. We haven't even touched on that. Christian Slater's <laughs> name in this movie is Binks. Binks. Yeah. Wasn't there, like, a, a video game in the late 90s, Binks the Time Band or something? It was, like, a little cat that traveled through time or some bullshit? Uh, I don't know. It sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. Look at this, Bink, Binks and Billy. Binks and Billy. think about it. Yeah. And, of course, Billy Jean... You know, kind of her go-to move is to run away and then get rescued by her legion of fans. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is uh, the security or whatever. This country club, yeah, they're 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 pretty dodo here. Uh, that, that's like, man, they're just like the country club security, and they they chased her like a mile out of the country. They did more than the cops did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's running through the streets and, you know. But this is the first one because this girl is like a, yeah. you know, a proto Billie Jean. Yeah, Billie Jean clone. Yeah. And they're, and they're all, you know, besides the, the blonde choppy hair, they all got the uh, long dangling mm-hmm. earring. It seems like a coincidence, but what I would have liked is if they had a little thing like showing that maybe it was on the radio, like, oh, Billie Jean was spotted somewhere. And then all these right. kids went out to try and help her, you know. Right. Like, that's something that you could, like, you could have done more with. But, I mean, they get the point across. But especially here at a moment when they bring in, like, all the girls that now look like Billie Jean. Yeah, because, you know, the cop is like, we got her. It's like, have you not looked at the photo? Like, in your command center here where you're you're not eating or sleeping. You're just (laughs) sitting in the city hall looking at her picture all day. And, like, all these girls are kind of being rounded up by the cops. They're all proud to, like, kind of come in here and be like, yeah, we're tough. We got the Mm -hmm. Billie Jean haircut. But I think this scene's really more about Yardley Smith seeing the, uh, even more so, seeing the effect Billie Jean has had on everybody. Mm -hmm. And to contrast it with what happens here, you know. Yeah. Because her religious mother finally gets her, slaps the shit out of her. And then, of course, she rebels. She's going to chop her hair off, too. And, like, the way her mom reacts, it's like chopping her hair off. It's like, so they might as well just be gouging her own eyes out. But I got to say, like, these little, like, extra parts of, like, these girls to help Billie Jean and stuff, like, I'll give them credit. Like, there's some real-looking kids in here. It's not... Yeah. It's not... It's like this whole sequence. It does, like, become, like, an underground railroad of Billie Jean supporters. It's like like Harriet Tubman (laughs) version (laughs) 2 or whatever. It's all about Billie Jean. It's really still, like, if you think about it, like, the whole thing is, you know, she just got... As far as all these kids know, she got ripped off by a guy who wouldn't give her $600. Right. And that made her into, like, an icon of all this youth Mm -hmm. that... But I mean, I, I mean it's, maybe all these girls got sexually harassed by that guy. I would buy it. Well, I've been waiting. By the way, this is like the 10 minute montage of Billie Jean traveling the world with all her supporters. <laughs> but she's really still in the same city. I don't yeah. know. I just want to point that out. It's just like she, it feels like she has to constantly move like a shark. Yeah. And the, what the movie does, it constantly like fakes you out. With like having the make it look like Billie Jean's gonna get busted. Like here, the guy was hiding. You know, and like everybody who helps Billie Jean, they know when the cops are about to come, so they hide their cars. They pull off the road. They do something. Oh, here we go. Billie Jean's getting busted because they set up a roadblock, and the the guy driving the motorcycle that she was on the back of here he comes. He's gonna get busted. But no, it's a fake out. The guy, you know, Billie Jean is gone. And like I think this is funny that they pull out the. Uh, the guy on the motorcycle, he has a USA Today stuffed in his back pocket, and the cops are like, hmm, they pull it out, unfold it, it's a picture of Billie Jean. 
Mm. Well, they found her, all right. Found her in USA Today. This <laughs> is a goofy moment. But no, um, what I was about to say is, um, where does this rank, this movie? And kind of, really not even this movie, but this era. Because, you know, it's such a it's such a hot topic, I'd say, probably the last four or five years. This, you know, Hollywood ain't, ain't putting no strong female characters in any movies whatsoever. I never grew up feeling like Hollywood was super sexist because, like, I feel like in the 80s we had tons and tons of strong female characters. Do you think it's possible that, the you know, the industry or society or however you want to phrase it, like, you know, they uh, went backwards from 85 to 2015, you know what I mean? Oh, I definitely think they did. I think the 90s took a big step back for whatever yeah. reason. Like, we definitely had less female-led films then, and it kind of became, it was still going through, like, the 2000s. But I kind of... I kind of wonder where that came from because, I mean, you and I, we were kids when this movie came out in this era. And, like, I mean, there, you know, I mean, I could name a ton of movies, you know, this, Aliens, you know. Like, there, there's so many movies where, like, the female is, like, in the lead, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Night of the Comet. Like, I mean, there's so many things where, like, women are, like, not taking that weak, weakling backseat, you know what I mean? Like, I just wonder where, and, and usually the way things happen is, like, you introduce one generation of people with something they grow up. Now they're the movie makers. Like, like who fucking <laughs> grew up watching The Legend of Billie Jean then got to Hollywood and was like, treat women like shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, it's weird. Like, I don't yeah. know how it happened. Here we have the return to the uh, the golf course. And uh, Billie Jean goes there and um, uh, reunites with Christian Slater. She knew he would go hide there. I want to know more about that, like, underground fight club that she got taken to for a moment there. Like, yeah, she, was that always a hangout for kids, or has she created some kind of, like, cult movement now, you know? The, uh, like, I always took it when I watched the movie, because that's the end of her traveling scene. She walks into, like, this boiler room where there's, like, all these kids, like, in this building. And, like, they're just standing around looking at her and clapping. Like, they're so happy to see her. According to her on the commentary track, that was supposed to be, like, a dance rave scene and, like, they're, dan- they're like she was dancing or people were dancing there and i guess she said it, it didn't come out well because like it was just rushed and improvised and really made no sense in the context of the movie so like they just kept that little bit where it was just like everybody surrounding her and her walking in and being yeah, at least strong. this director was smart enough to cut it yeah. that, puts, that puts him one above the wachowskis <laughs> oh the wachowskis that would have been a 20 minute sweaty <laughs> rave going on I will say when I watched it today, it was the first time I really took note of, and it hit me like earlier than it does in the like normally in the movie that when they show the car that picks her up, one of the cars, and they cut to their back bumper and they have Billy Jean bumper stickers, like it says Billy Jean, and one says Fair is Fair, right? And I was thinking, oh, that's weird because they must have bought that from the guy that exploited her, right? And then and then sure enough, that does come back later, but I, I guess like when I was younger, I never really clued on it, clued in on me about why everyone burns the stuff at the end and then i got it like finally right. <laughs> right. took me took me watching this film like as 10 times to well get it's in. like and it's weird too because all these kids are so excited to go buy all that shit from and i'm just like you it, it didn't really hit me like i was like you think like that would be the last guy they would want to buy their billy jean merch from <laughs> yeah because i remember that like when i there was one time where i think the last time i watched this before today at the end when they all start burning everything i was just thinking like well why she's still their hero yeah. but now it's like oh no it's because they don't want to give that guy any yeah. money or they feel bad about having already given him money exactly 
And, and not only that, it wasn't, I mean, obviously that guy's the sleaziest of the sleaziest because it's all his fault and then he's making money, but it's just everybody, man, the press, everybody that was just so exploiting this, you know, and I always took it too at the end when, like, everybody kind of sobers up, you know, to the reality of the situation. I feel like they, like, not that she isn't still their hero, but, like, I feel like they, like, wisen up to, like, you know, because I think the lore of Billie Jean for a lot of these people was was how dangerous and cool it was. And then it's just like, well, this isn't cool at all. Like, this actually should have never happened at all. You know what I mean? This fucked up situation. Now, this is funny. Like, Peter Coyote is pretty sure they're here. Right. And there's there's literally about four places they could be hiding. Yeah. And instead of just going and looking at those, he stands out in the middle and just yells out to them. I mean, I guess the only thing is, like, because, you know, when they found that car, they found some of the golf balls that had the imprint of the uh, closed-down miniature golf place or whatever. So, like, he thinks, oh, you know, I'm not going to bring the SWAT team here and shit because they all shoot binks and kill everybody. But I'll just go here and yell out. I mean, you think he would be more actively trying to find them, like you said, and have a face-to-face conversation with them i feel like when as a between this and texas chainsaw massacre 2 i feel like every like attraction in texas was shut down yeah this... <laughs> like tourism around 85 just took a shit <laughs> yeah. like, nobody wanted to play miniature golf nobody wanted to go to the amusement park nothing yeah. everything was just taken over by criminals <laughs> it would be like a little bit of a leap from the billy jean gang to the sawyer family but exactly. who knows I know, you know, where, where Binks goes years from now. Yeah, he could get disfigured. <laughs> Bink, maybe Binks turned into Chop Top, you never know. <laughs> Once again, Coyote trying to talk him in off the ledge. And I think also, too, like, they spend so much time kind of setting up how hard Coyote is working. Like, not to catch them just because he's the cop, but actually try to help them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you watch this now, you kind of realize how dumb they are, too, for just not, you know what I mean? Like, I understand fair is fair, and we're supposed to be all hyped up about that. But, like, you know, and it pays off more here where, where Binks finally gets his comeuppance. But, uh, I just saw a Night Ranger t-shirt and a Where's the Beef hat. Wow, that's awesome. I had a Where's the Beef beach towel. I had a picture, like a cartoon of, like, the old lady's face on it. <laughs> Oh, there's like hundreds of police officers piling it. Yeah, it's like the sequence in the Blues Brothers. They're all all getting down there. Good Lord, I hope like no real crime happens in Texas this day. Oh, (laughs) every cop is there to catch the Billy Jean. Imagine if there's like a bank robbery, hostages (laughs) shot, bloodbath. They're like, oh, we now we're we're at this Billy Jean thing. Because I mean, at this point, like we said, like the crimes haven't really been that bad, really, that they've Mm. done, you know. But, but it does, like, I guess the film is trying to make the point, though, of, like, it's, like, more of a statement now, right? Yeah. Like, the cops are the establishment, and they need yeah. to, like... And that's something you could have, I guess, could have been handled a little more, right? Like, we need to stop yeah. her because the kids are getting too out of control. Right. It's just riling everybody up and undermining yeah. our authority. They, Not Peter Coyote, but the rest of the cops. They want Billie Jean to respect their authority. You're telling me nobody anywhere out there in the world has a Billie Jean Frisbee that they can they sell me? Come on. Somewhere. We'll pay you for it. Yeah. Give us some Billie Jean merch, please, somebody. I'm surprised one of these little... Well, I guess this movie hasn't had a real huge resurgence or whatever, but, like, I'm surprised somebody hasn't made, like, a Billie Jean action figure, to be honest with you. Like, because, I mean, keep in mind, there's, there's full fucking Big Bang Theory action figure lines yeah. out there. You know what I mean? 
Or put out like a uh, a statue of that Billie Jean paper mache statue. Yeah, but it's like plaster, and you put yeah. it there, and it's got like a USB port in it. As long as you put a USB port in it, you could sell anything now. <laughs> I love how there's like old bikers now. It's, yeah, it's like and what is, that that biker's wearing a shirt of two armadillos fucking. <laughs> That's great. Two armadillos fucking. Can't even drive the police car. There's such a sea of rascals here to cheer on Billy Jean. And I'm kind of curious why they thought like obviously this was all a diversion, but. Uh, you know, clearly they should have known when they set up this rendezvous that this would not end well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, you know, we, we kind of get... This is all kind of like the tensious build-up right here of what's going to happen. But basically, I'll cut to it because, you know, whatever. We uh, Oh, wow, they actually have roving merch people selling... <laughs> he tries to sell a t-shirt, Pierre Coyote. Like, Pierre Coyote's going to strap that Billy Jean shirt on. But... uh you know, they have uh, Christian Slater because he was a bony boy. Actually, yeah, he's about the same height, bony boy, kind of like Billie Jean. They have him dress up in a wig or whatever to, like, make, like, the fake whatever drop mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, in a dress or whatever. But uh, they surely should have known that there was no escaping this circus that they created here. Oh, here comes Yardley Smith. She's showing up with her chopped hair. Look at her. That's a great wig she's got. <laughs> yeah. But Yarley Smith is more dressed like a member of uh, a Boy George's band. <laughs> she yeah. is Billy Jean, in all honesty. I always think it's funny, too, that they, like, uh, it, for the, the ruse you were just talking about, that they have Christian Slater have lipstick on, too. Yeah. Which seems really unimportant, because, like, it's, it's only going to work from a distance. But it's almost yeah. like they just egged him on. Like, no, no, you got to wear the lipstick, too. Yeah, if this was uh, made by the same director of Private Resort, they would have the uh, sleazeball dad groping the shit out of <laughs> like Christian Slater. What, what, a wide, what a wide variety of Billie Jean shirts have been made at this point, too. Right. I feel like everyone's wearing a different kind of Billie Jean shirt. She has yeah. become such a cottage industry at this point. I mean, clearly they had a good budget on this movie to make all this shit up, too. Well, I get that the movie did, but how does that how does that sleazy guy have the budget to, like, make all this stuff? Well, they kind of show his empire, like, growing as time goes on. It's, I mean, I'm assuming that all this kind of happened over the week, a week, week mm-hmm. and a half, whatever, you know. But uh, they kind of showed before how it started out small, which is like a little rack of shit at the store, and then... You know, it's in the background of the scenes where he's talking Coyote. But I guess just as the money rolls in, he gets, because uh, this is Corpus Christi, that he gets um, he gets uh, fast custom shirts to make him up some more Billie Jean shit. So he can sit on the beach. Cops, cops a little too eager to shoot someone. This is pretty topical. Yeah, this is, uh, it's actually, when you look at this now <laughs> in our society, it's, uh, it's a little more whatever than, you know, well, you could, like you said earlier, you said earlier about changing, like, the races of the characters. You yeah. could make a very, like, racially charged version of this that would, that would so work today. Like, yeah. Grant, nobody would find it, but... Yeah. Yeah, you, you, uh, you, uh, keep screaming about, uh, well, not you, but people, people keep screaming about, you know, let's get Miles Morales as Spider-Man. I want John Boyega as the new Binks. <laughs> That's what yeah. I want. Make that shit happen. It's so obvious that's Christian Slater. <laughs> I love how Billie Jean like has like a, a 70s porn actress wig now. Mm. This guy's so... 
Looks cute, though. Yeah, it actually looks good. She kind of looks like the girl in Cyborg, the curly-haired girl in Cyborg mm-hmm. that Van Damme bangs and then gets killed. Well, I guess she doesn't get killed. I guess she kind of survives till the end. I'm trying to read, like, Hubie's hat said something about terrorism, but I couldn't read it quick enough. That's funny. Probably a Panama Jack hat or something. I always Hubie, just like how he jumped out at the... Uh, the mall. Oh, let's get her and all that shit. He he runs out, runs past police barricades that run on up to see that it's not Banks. And of course, that toy gun. Unfortunately, more topical now than even when this film is made. Toy gun gets Banks shot in the chest mm-hmm. with a, a sniper rifle from the police. Movie could have taken a really dark turn here. Yeah, that's so. That's like, um, what was the movie? I'm trying to think. Some movie recently. Oh, I was reading that Night of the Comet. Supposedly Kelly Maroney originally was supposed to die. This would have been the Night of the Com- original Night of the Comet type uh, ending here, where you kill your most likable character just to make the movie more impactful. But glad well, that- I don't know that Binks is the most likable character. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I'm saying <laughs> Night of the Comet was smart enough not to do it, and then obviously here they have Binks survive, but. Billie Jean doesn't know that at this point. So this is really her emotional point. Like, you know, enough with the cute games, enough with the scooter being brought down that's been fixed. Like, like now she's really going to uh, go after a sleazy father here, Pyatt. Go after this motherfucker. Because now, I think this is the first time really she's seeing the merch stand and really understanding mm-hmm. who's making all the money off this bullshit. And by the way, I, well, I guess it makes sense. She's in a crowd of Billie Jean's, but she rips that wig off and nobody notices it's really Billie Jean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you see them, they start to notice here, but yeah, yeah it takes right. a moment. But there's like, yeah, there's like a variety of memorabilia and husk items you can buy with her name. Yeah, this is exactly, when I was watching this part, I was like, this is this stuff has got to be out there somewhere. Yeah. But it's a great showdown, and that's what I mean. Like, this is... I don't know. To me, this is the golden era of PG-13 filmmaking. Back when you can make a movie where, like, you know, technically, you know, we don't know this yet what happened to Binks, but actually nobody's died in this movie, but it's still a really impactful movie, you know, whatnot. Although, I gotta say, this is kind of like, you know, the crowd has this big realization and whatnot. How did they get that picture of her like half naked on the dock? I can't remember where they take the, pictures. Of her? Yeah, the one one of the guys took a picture of okay. her as she got. Okay, yeah. I got you. But um, that seemed a little weird. But yeah, it makes sense. But uh, yeah, like I almost think maybe the people just start ripping their shit up just because Billie Jean rips that shit up. It's more monkey see, monkey do. Other more than it's society learned a lesson. You know what I mean? This is what I mean. Like, here's where she finally like says out loud, like, "Well, you tried to rape me too." Right. You know, it just seems like it's something you would have thought you would have said on the videotape. Oh yeah, exactly. Because that would have really changed the dynamic. Yeah. But I, and I almost feel like you would almost buy people like, ex- like getting so into her as a hero if they had known that, right? Rather than it just being like, "Well, I I want the money for the scooter." And here it is, he, he, he finally, you know, because all these people are watching and whatnot, he's finally, you know, kind of like the abusive father with the kid before he finally has to fess up and pay the money up and do whatever. By the way, I can't believe Keith Gordon's still free, you're just walking around back there. But, uh, yeah, he's trying to give her the money now, but it's like, it's she. 
I love it that she won't take it because it, it it literally is blood money at this point. Like the only reason he's giving her this money is because he's made twenty times that on all this hokey mm-hmm. merch. He's just trying to save face here publicly. And talk about this only being what her second movie or something. Like she pulls it. She's got the chops here, Helen Slater. She pulls this yeah. off really good. She talks to the commentary about how bad her southern accent is, and it's not great. But I mean. It yeah. doesn't matter, you know, right. like she still gives a great performance through it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, realistically, there's no, there's no whatever written in stone that, you know, her and her brother were from there. They might have just moved there two, three years ago or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know both this and Supergirl didn't like perform big box office wise, but I still am to this day legit surprised she didn't become a bigger star. Yeah. It's like she has all the qualities that should have been like, you know, should have got her further than she went. You know, it's it's kind of what happened to a lot of really good actors and actresses of that time is there were so many parts for for young people back then compared to now that a lot of people got cast and had good four, five, six, seven year runs. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like it kind of came to an end too because there was such a supply of young talent. You know. What yeah, I mean? and I just feel particularly bad for her because after Supergirl and Billie Jean, two such strong female characters. She really quickly fell into just playing the girlfriend or the wife after yeah, this. Wasn't she like the love interest in City Slickers or some bullshit? Yeah, she, yeah. she was in a uh, Secret of My Success with Michael J. Yeah. Fox. Yeah, that's a good movie though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now, this is really... like this whole thing here. I don't, I don't sure this like where Hubie kind of turns good. It doesn't yeah. really feel earned, you know. No. If anything, you think Hubie would. Uh be on the side of his his dad you know yeah I mean? like you see him here he's like laughing about his dad and then he walks away and i guess we're supposed to be like oh yeah good for you hubie but you know he still beat the shit out of christian slater and, exactly. and destroyed that scooter this is still all his fault he was i mean obviously I, I you know it's illogical whatever that he's a product of the father but yeah i mean he's you know he's just as bad as the dad mm-hmm. you know because i mean he was all groping and doing weird shit at the ice cream stand at the beginning of the movie too to helen slater so I could, I could definitely see him being a rapist in training. Like, so it's just the deadpan look she gives him there. It's great. Yeah. She's kind of mesmerized by watching all this shit with her image and her name on it just burn up in flames. Because it is very disgusting and tacky. This, it's, it's almost like, at this point, it's almost grown into like a theme park down there, like on the beach. You know what I mean? And then obviously it's all going to come down to uh, the paper mache statue. Yeah, here. so I was thinking, like, I, I watched the film and I was like, oh, I wonder if that's in storage somewhere. But clearly they had no. burned that at the end of shooting. Yeah. And obviously she's mesmerized because she was so taken aback by Joan of Arc. And this is mm-hmm. obviously the Joan of Arc moment of the movie. Yeah, not subtle. but No, not subtle, but it's good. I th- I think, too, you know, again, not to keep slamming modern movies, but I think... I think they found ways to dramatize things in movies back then, just with visuals like this. You didn't have to go to the level of somebody literally dying or the most right. you know dramatic, utmost extreme. It's not Keith, Keith Gordon. He throw he picks up one of the posters, throws that shit in the fire. That kind of starts the chain reaction. Everybody throwing their merch in there. By the way, like those those polyester fucking hats and shit. I bet this was uh, 
a nightmare to breathe this shit in while they're filming. <laughs> this is like that that John Wayne Genghis Khan movie that killed everybody involved. Like oh, all the yeah, yeah. all the Billy Jean extras is probably the same thing is going to happen. Shot it in like some radioactive <laughs> salt flats and shit. Yeah, I remember that hearing about it. I'm just thinking like how many grade school kids it took like round the clock to make that paper mache Billy Jean. <laughs> I kind of wish there, there's that little smile between her and Peter Coyote. I wish there was just like a little bit more between them at the end. Yeah. Like a, some dialogue, maybe. Especially because he was like the only one that was on her side, really. Mm-hmm. Great slow-mo of the statue falling down. I guess it was a full-size statue. I thought it was always more of a bust when they first showed They kind of showed the waist up. But it looked like he had legs and everything. Yeah. There. And this, I guess, this is impressive. This really turns into a freaking inferno there, that shit burning up. I don't know how they got that under control. Now here we're setting up Billie Jean 2, the Vermont Adventures. Exactly. Ski Patrol Part 2. And yeah, what do you what do you think of this uh uh just jumping ahead in time? Like no rushing to the hospital. Like they kind of just wrap it up here. Like I almost wonder if this was met, shot after the fact, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean I like it. I don't need I like, like it, I, yeah. I kinda like these kind of quick abrupt conclusions. And I like this little like like, like little stinger where he sees the snowmobile and yeah, you know, like it looks like the scooter. You know, you could have you could have uh, done a Hobbit or a Lord of the Rings and given this too many endings and shown her like yeah. and Keith Gordon together. You just don't need all that stuff, you know. Well, she had Keith Gordon's snakeskin jacket there, so yeah. I mean, I think they're at least in touch, and you know, we kind of get the idea that Billie Jean and Binks, you know. It didn't seem like they were there. Really, it didn't even seem like they ever had any parents at all in this film, did it? <laughs> well, their mom went on a date with that guy. Right, right, right. Yeah. It seemed like an absent mom. It seemed like Billie Jean was really the, the mother to Binks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here they are on the run and then the thing. Maybe maybe they got like a fat uh, book deal or did like a Diane Sawyer <laughs> interview or something. <laughs> maybe that's where they got the money to go to Vermont. Although they are hitchhiking, so they probably don't have too much money. But yeah, it's a good. But you wonder, does does her like legend live on to where she can yeah. travel the country, you know, and everyone's still like, oh, Billie Jean. I gotta say though, it's pretty impressive, and you kind of, you know, that's a movie dream. And it, well, actually, I was gonna say it could be a lot later, but it's really not because Slater still got the the arm sling on from getting shot. But I was like, wouldn't they have had to do some kind of time or? Probably in a juvenile hall or something. Yeah, or they got like time served, you know. Yeah. I don't know. And, of know. course, Billie Jean grew up to be uh, Furiosa. In exactly. Fury Road. <laughs> she lost a hand. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah, I've really been looking forward to doing this for a long time. Uh, really one of my favorite movies of the 80s. And, you know, it, it was one of those things that wasn't around very much, you know, that kind of in-between VHS and DVD mm-hmm. time and video stores yeah. going away. Like, and then it started popping up on cable again in the in the – the hd version a few years ago and then i think the dvd their dvd was out for a while like one of those really expensive like archive versions or something right yep and then the newest re-release you can get the dvd or the blu-ray your choice for about six bucks i would say get the blu-ray but yeah it's it's i agree like it's a film that i mean i love this movie i think it it's not as well known or as famous as some other 80s movies just because availability for a long time yeah but it definitely deserves to be right up there with those yeah, well, like we say, like especially if you're gonna, you know, and that, that's kind of my, my whatever is like, kind of, you know, with the strong female character thing. Like we hear that day and night now, and it's like, 
I think people really mean they want strong female characters in either Star Wars or like, like, but it's like, no, it's like, there really is a lot of great history of cinema and it's like, you know, it's like, find those movies out, seek those movies out. Don't, don't, don't sit around and wait for Hollywood to, uh, you know, give you the type of characters that you want. Like, go support the movies that actually have them, you know? And I wish this would have been a much bigger hit at the time, obviously. Mm-hmm. It bums me out also to read that I guess when Pat Benatar plays this song at her concerts, yeah. she always introduces it by saying, This is from the worst movie ever made. Really? And I was thinking, like, okay, what you know, bitch. even if you don't like even if you <laughs> even if you don't like this movie, worst movie ever made. Yeah. Like, come on. It's funny because I, I I'm not shitting you. I I, I listen to a, one of those like robot radio stations, Jack FM, some places it's Bob FM, I don't know, probably other names, but it's just kind of like an iPod playing of both new and old music, and I just heard the Invincible theme song, you know, yeah, yesterday in my car. Yeah, oh yeah, I think the song is a much bigger hit than the movie was. Yeah, that's what Helen Slater was saying on the commentary, but the, I guess she was saying that the music video even had footage from the movie, but yeah, mm-hmm. but it's, it's still a hit movie. I mean, hit hit song even to this day. It still gets some airplay and shit. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's probably. I'd say it's got to be what Pat Benatar's second hit, second biggest hit after "Love Is a Battlefield." You still hear that one a little bit more. Yeah, you hear "Invincible," but I do think there's something too with the, the name of this movie and then even like the cover, the way it looks. That I've yeah. I've encountered. That I think some people think it's like a rape revenge movie, right? Wait, and I mean, it's it's like an attempted rape revenge movie, yeah, I guess. It, it's but. kind of a sanitized rape revenge. Yeah, but yeah, but I, but I, but like I said before, like I like that it didn't go too far in that direction because then they could focus more on the themes of right. what they were trying to say, you know. Yeah. So yeah, so that's the legend of Billie Jean. Uh, if anybody tuned in hoping to hear us make fun of this movie and giggle at it and whatever, like, sorry, but like, yeah, we're we're big marks for the legend of Billie Jean. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the so, legend lives on in us. Exactly, <laughs> it's kind of sad. To co- a couple guys in their thirties are yeah. the biggest fans. <laughs> We're out there wearing, you know, <laughs> big baggy pants and scuba suits. I'm going to go out uh, tonight. Walk up down the streets in my neighborhood and scream, "Fair's fair, fair's fair." <laughs> So yeah, so uh, obviously you are the uh, I, I would classify you as the part-time grave digger. Other than me and Corey, you, you've made the most appearances out of anybody on this show. Um, but uh, tell the people real quick before we go away here. Uh, tell everybody else what else you got going on. Uh, yeah, check out my other podcasts. I do uh, If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It with my buddy Bird. Uh, uh, pretty infrequent uh, show where uh, about once every... Once a month show. It's not... It's once, been, yeah, once yeah. a month or so we, we do some kind of topic. And uh, I know coming up we've, we're going to do uh, an episode all about... Um, so Bird had never seen a James Bond film until a few months ago. And our other buddy uh, had never seen any of the Planet of the Apes films. So they both kind of sat through and did those and we're gonna do an episode about that about two people watching these franchises for the first time that's amazing because because we're not we're, we're not talking about 14 year old kids here we're talking about grown no, men. <laughs> yeah and then we also are planning to do an episode uh where we're gonna watch the the film wiener the documentary about anthony wiener oh wow and the todd silence film wiener dog and wow. we're gonna we're gonna compare the two films interesting uh and then also check out uh days of future podcast if you're an x-men fan that's my yeah. x-men uh specific podcast it's all about uh, x-men and i recommend it i'm not a huge x-men fan but 
in terms of like the knowledge of it and all that but these guys they do a good job they talk about the movies they talk about the comics they, they talk about everything it's a good yeah show. Our, our whole point is to be the casual x-men podcast right. uh, there's there's other x-men podcasts that get deep in and do an issue by issue breakdown and talk about the themes this is more like if you're hanging around with some buddies just talking about x-men and so it's a lot more you know conversational and it's a very popular show too so i want to yeah. congratulate you and your co-host on that show joe on nice success so and uh uh thanks again for having me on like it's uh, it's very much an honor to be an occasional grave digger yes you are we need you know me and Corey, man we're getting old our backs can't take digging up the graves of all these movies we need a little bit of help yeah no i got get it (laughs) so yeah so everybody uh Corey is very close to coming off injury reserve uh his knees one of these days i still hope to do one of these with Corey. I I hope so too. Honestly, I hope so too. Still, still believe Corey uh, is avoiding me. So, well, to be to be fair, oh, I guess it was due to injury, but he didn't even make it for recently. Um, it will be out by the time people hear this. But uh, go back and listen to our Commando episode uh, that I did with the the nerdy bitches from the Nerdy Bitches podcast. Heather and Liz, they do an awesome podcast. It's two women, Trev. It's called the Nerdy Bitches podcast. They talk about all geek stuff. They do cool. lots of Star Trek. Uh, Star Wars episodes really good. It, it's a really good podcast. It's Corey's favorite podcast. He set set the whole deal up. Big crossover between the 1980s movie Greyyard, Nerdy Bitches, and unfortunately he could not make it due to injury. So don't feel bad. He we've never like done a. Me and Corey have never had a guest on the show. So don't feel yeah. bad. All right. All right. So yeah. So everybody, we I promise uh, we tease the hell out of people. We did this questions from Twitter show. We were just going to take a few questions from Twitter and then cover the movie Demons, but we talked questions for like an hour and a half. So Demons got put on the back burner. Corey got hurt, so that's why the last couple episodes fans uh, been listening uh, to me with other co-hosts. But Corey will be back very soon. You know, because we we only put two episodes out a month, so by the time the next episode's ready to come out, he should be back. And I believe we're doing demons. I, I, we teased this shit up for like twenty minutes, and then we never did the movie. So hopefully, demons will be coming your way next. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Trev, for joining me in the graveyard. Thank um, you. We'll see you again in the graveyard. We we'll try to make your uh, visits not as infrequent uh, coming up in the future. But thank you so much, everybody. Uh, awesome, awesome community we got going on facebook on twitter and uh our download numbers have been amazing and i really believe it's to everybody who's helping us out helping the word get out out about our show so i appreciate everybody thank you so much uh yeah thanks a lot guys we'll see you again pretty soon on the 1980s movie graveyard see you you're listening to the electronic media collective podcast network yeah it's a mouthful For more great shows, visit electronicmediacollective.com.